Good morning. I think we're about it for this morning. Let's look at our announcements. It is better if God, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. First Peter three seventeen. Tonight's Bible study. We're gonna pull the plug on that tonight. Kind of everybody's sick, and uh, not to mention the road situation. Uh, I was actually quite surprised at how bad Dryden Road was this morning. I, I hadn't been I hadn't been east west uh, since the snow. So, um, is it too cold for them to salt? Is that what the deal is? It's cold. So so, I don't know that. I can't. I don't have the thing to start the prayer chain thing on the text, but. That probably should go out on text, but for all of us that are here, let's let's cancel for tonight. We'll resume that next Sunday. No choir tonight, then. Men's Bible study is on for Tuesday, 10 a.m. at the McLeods. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. Co-ed Bible study resumes January the 19th at Jared and Andrea's home. Uh, what day is that, Jared? Is that Friday? Friday. Friday okay. So we can't predict who's going to be <laughs> sick by Friday. <laughs> So for the moment, that's on. <laughs> oh, boy. Thornville will be hosting the SGBA Men's Retreat, and that's January 26th and 27th, racing towards us. Uh, we need hosts uh, host to house men. And uh, who's kind of the contact person on that? Uh, yeah. George. Okay, George's contact person regarding housing and uh, breakfast will be here at the church. The men should sign up on our little flyer out here, on the poster out here. That's so, on the yeah, board? You, you, we need to know how much food to buy. So okay. even though you're not gonna need housing, obviously, because you're here, but we need to know how many will be showing up for the. Okay, so if you haven't signed up, do so, and uh, that'll help. Annual business meeting, Wednesday the 31st, and SGBA Winter Blast, second through fourth, and the poster for that is also on the, I think it's on the health board, should be. Um, okay, I have a letter here from uh, Don Bataki. It's a short uh, letter. Dear friends at Thornville Baptist, thank you for your December gift and all your support in 2017. We're very grateful. The church has a handful of believers. We have passed out a couple of thousand tracts, I suppose, and witnessed to various individuals. Pray with us that someone out of these would come to the church. We have had almost no success in this so far. Music is another area in which we need help. We have a nice piano and organ, but no one to play them. Moody Bible Institute has a local campus nearby and we have our church's name on their bulletin board requesting a piano player to help us, but no response has come forth. The weekly children's program has been a bright spot. It has grown, and we have been able to teach the Bible to spiritually needy children. Praise God with us for this. It is such a vital ministry as children today have no spiritual guidance, and in fact, we are terribly misguided. The Lord has provided us with pra uh, pra particular workers 
who are friends of our church but are not members that have helped us greatly in the ministry to the children. Pray with us that we will be able to keep the church going as it is an important light to the community just by being here on the corner. They read our changeable sign each time they go by and see the lights lit on Wednesday and Sunday nights. This little light of ours, we want to let it shine. Thank you, Don Pataki, Briarwood Baptist. All right, uh, have I missed anything else this morning? <coughs> Guess not. Okay, our scripture for scripture for meditation then is uh, from Hebrews, the eleventh chapter. Read thirty-two through forty. Let's open with a prayer. I don't know if you're getting picked on or not, Phil. Would you mind?
pastor is a great sport of message. Let it convict the, the souls and the hearts of the lost. But Lord, let it also bolster and enforce and strengthen the hearts of the saved and the saints. Watch over us now. In the name of Christ we ask. Amen. Who's on you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> One sickie sharing the pulpit with another sickie. All right, our first hymn is 19 in Trinity. That's the red hymnal. <clears throat> it's been a week, hasn't it, boy? I've talked to a lot of people, called them on the phone. I don't go see them because I've been sick. And then I call them and find out they've been sick. So, All right.
164 in the red. <coughs> I wish we had a thousand tongues. <laughs> That'd be absolutely great. <laughs> Listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. That's a great promise. Thank you. Good singing. <clears throat> Our scripture reading is in First Peter, third chapter, and we'll be reading eight through seventeen. Stand with us, we'll read together. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate <coughs> and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. 
He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. May the Lord add his blessing to this holy and inspired reading. Once again, <clears throat> turn to your hymnal. That's the brown hymnal. Hymn number 478. 478.
Our scripture text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 3. Last week we had some trouble with the stream, uh, the, so you could be praying about that, that that gets working well. <clears throat> Don't know if you know it, but we have people all over the United States that listen to our broadcast. Um, and even foreign countries. So it's important that the stream work and um, that the word of God goes out. Our last study dealt with the theme, the pain of wrong choices. We discovered that all men make and live by their free will choices. Even if they are incarcerated or restricted in their mobility and in their preferences. God's sovereignty does not negate this. But such free will choices are restricted only by one major principle, and that is the choices we make never exceed the power of our own nature. Since our natures are sinful and fallen in Adam, we can never choose what is pleasing to God. That's why Paul says in Romans 3, verse 12, there is no one who does good, not even one. And he says in verse 11, same chapter, no one seeks God. No one. Well, of course not, because God is good, and we, like Paul, have to say, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Romans 7, verse 18. Nor are we free in our choices to the degree that God is free in his choices. We cannot become God, which is the lie of Satan, by the way. And it still permeates the thinking of evil men in our day. God holds us accountable for our wrong choices because these we make freely with no coercion. But being the sinners we are, our choices reflect in animosity towards God. How then can we make the good free will choices of repenting of our sin, believing in Jesus as Savior, which are essential to salvation? Well, this is only possible when, if, if and when God grants us a new nature. We're made alive in Christ as his gift. And then from that new nature, we repent and believe. We are wholly dependent upon God's mercy. And we do not influence his mercy by our free choices. Let me read it for you from the scripture. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does, and I'm still reading scripture, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. It's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow, but that's the Bible, Romans 9. Verse 15 and 16. 
May I say that fortunately for all sinners, Jesus himself declared, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We have a God that delights in mercy. He goes on, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you're a sinner here this morning, you're in good company. You're in, the, you're in the very classification of people. Christ has come to save and to work in your heart. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Matthew 9, verse 13. Well, in today's study, we want to zone in on the pain of unjust suffering. Unjust suffering. And as we come, let's ask for the enablement of God. Holy Father, send your Holy Spirit, we pray, to strengthen and to enable your word of God to go forth. Touch my throat, uh, having troubles this morning. Give strength there. Pray, Lord, for those that are so ill, and there, there's many, and our population here this morning tells the tale but wherever our people are, listening at home, listening out on the internet, even in other states, in other countries, we pray whatever our condition physically or mentally or spiritually, send your spirit to minister to us. Strengthen the weak, grant understanding to the ignorant, life to the dead, for the glory of Christ and in the power of Christ we pray these things. Amen. We're looking this morning at the pain of unjust sufferings. And boy, there's a lot of pain related to that. You notice in your bulletin line, outline I have listed here is the first gripe that we have. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve. I've said that so many times in my life. I don't deserve this. All of us understand sinful behavior well enough to realize that when we sin, there are consequences. The biblical principle is this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Galatians 6 verse 7. Or again, from Proverbs 11 verse 18. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. The reward, however, might not be immediately evident in this life. And therein is where our faith is tested. Sometimes we sow righteousness and we reap an evil response from others. Wow. We plant the good and we reap the bad. The principle of cause and effect seems to have gone away. On those occasions. We get upset by this because we have been taught all of our lives. What Peter says in verse 10 of our text. Whoever would love life and seek good days must keep his tongue from evil. His lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eye of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? That's what we've been taught all of our lives. 
And we're ready to shout hallelujah. I'm for that. Mm. Underneath the outcomes of our behavior, we are trusting God to oversee and manage the wicked around us, including Satan, so as to protect us and preserve his people from injustice. I mean, it's a matter of fairness, right? If you're living a righteous life, we want to be treated fairly and recognized for that. But injustice happens everywhere in this fallen world. Peter had to deal with this among his people in the first century. Look at the next verse, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Wait a minute. Suffering for what is right? How did that get in there? I thought if we sowed righteousness, we reap what's good. I thought God was overseeing and superseding in the affairs of men so that we as his people would be protected. We read, didn't we, in verse 12, the eye of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. He's listening. He's responding. How then is it permissible that if we keep our tongues from evil and deceitful speech, verse 10, and if we turn from evil and do good and seek and pursue peace, verse 11, <coughs> how is it that we should suffer for what is right? We don't deserve this. Something's wrong here with this principle of reaping what one sows. Where is God's promised protection? Well, secondly, in your bulletin outline, you'll note that God sometimes has a different path to God's blessings. Sometimes. The gen general principle is this. A man reaps what he sows. Sow righteousness, reap a reward from God. Sow evil, verse 12, the latter part. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And I could say it this way, that nine out of ten times, this is exactly what's going to happen. <coughs> Even if we're not under the government of Christian leaders, listen to Paul's analysis in Romans 13. He writes that as believers, we are to submit to the governing authorities, and then he explains, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's right and he will commend you. For he's God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Romans 13, verse 3 and 4. Again, I, I would say this is, this is a general governing principle. There are exceptions, however. Sometimes, sometimes, the powers that be do not live up to their God-given mandate of protecting the righteous and punishing the wrongdoer. They become corrupt themselves. 
despots who would just as soon punish the righteous and reward the criminal. And they do that because they themselves have become criminal. They themselves have become violators of all that is holy and just. We see that in the world all the time. And may I say, we are not bound, we are not bound to obey such men. Because their rules violate the commands of God. I give you as one example at least. Peter and John who were commanded by the Jewish council. Don't you be preaching about this Jesus anymore in the temple. Next week they were right there. Acts chapter 5 in the temple preaching again. So the high priest sent officers to arrest them, and it says that they were flogged. All the apostles were flogged. But here was their answer. Judge for yourself if it's right to obey God rather than man. We must obey God. Do what you're going to do. <laughs> and boy, they had it done to them. But they were going to obey God. <coughs> Serving God is the right thing to do, but it is also the very thing the wicked disdain. And so there will be consequences for disobedience to the rules of men. The apostles were severely flogged, including Peter, who wrote our text. And that being the case, what has happened here? Had God abandoned the principle of reaping what one sows? Has God forgotten his own resolve to watch over the righteous and listen to their prayers? Verse 12. Well, not at all. But instead, God has chosen, get it now, he has chosen another path to reward. Note again verse 14. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. And do not be frightened. The enemy of your soul and mind traffics in fear. Fear of physical pain. Fear of false accusations. Fear of being abandoned by friends and family. Fear of loss of personal property or a personal means of support. Fear of confinement, fear of imprisonment. You can just about list anything there. The proliferation of trouble in your life when you are doing good brings out similar accusations that Job faced from his companions. Instead of comfort, they heaped insults upon him, blaming him for some secret sin that just had to be the reason for his suffering. Suffering for doing right never crossed their minds. But Peter is telling us, it needs to cross your minds. It needs to cross your minds because it is one way God blesses his people for living a righteous life. Yes, 
general rule is, sow righteousness, reap good things. But sometimes, sow righteousness is going to reap suffering for doing it. But even when it comes to suffering for righteousness, we are to conclude, we are blessed. It's a different path to God's blessing, but it's a sure road just the same. God's, God's taking note of the fact that you are suffering unjustly. And he's holding, holding the wicked accountable for their conduct. Now that's the second point of our outline. I want to spend the bulk of our time looking at the blessings of suffering for righteousness' sake. Now I've listed firstly the blessing of a confident faith. Consider the reason for your suffering, for the false accusations, for the misrepresentations. If you should suffer for what is right, says Peter. I think many a person would love to have that evaluation from God written on their tombstone. Here lies James Taylor. Here lies Mary Richards, who suffered death for doing right. Signed, Christ the Lord. I'd like that on my tombstone. That's 15, verse 15 of our text. Now, not everyone will have this assurance in this way, but many have and many will to come. Jesus taught his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, verse 33. The Beatitudes of Matthew 5 have been a peace and comfort to God's people for centuries. Let me read some of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, etc., etc., down through the text. Matthew 5, verse 3 and following. But have you considered how Jesus ends the Beatitudes? How does he end the discussion about those that are perfectly blessed? Here's what he says. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. Matthew 5 verse 10 through 12. And what Jesus is saying is. You're, hey do you know you're, you're in good company here. You're in good company. When you're treated like that. You're sharing the same experience of the prophets. This is all summed up in Peter's words. But even if you suffer for what is right. You're blessed. How so? 
because only the righteous suffer for what's right. The destiny of the righteous, and by the way, it's Christ's righteousness applied to us. The destiny of the righteous is the kingdom of heaven. The reward of God is heaven. The road you are walking is the same path taken by the prophets of God before you. We are walking arm in arm with those preachers of righteousness, those men of old, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, and on and on, Ezekiel, to whom God spoke in audible revelations and through whom the Holy Scriptures came to be. These men directed the nation of Israel through their preaching and warned the pagan nations through their calls to repentance. Yes, they were persecuted prophets, but they were blessed prophets as well. I think all of us would do well to walk in their footsteps. It's our badge of confidence that we are indeed people of faith. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, writes Paul, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. I think most of us would say that's a badge I I would just as soon not have to wear. No one likes to be persecuted. But if it's the badge that Christ gives to us, we're willing to wear it. And that's my second point. There is the blessing of following Christ as Lord. Look at verse 15. In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Now Peter has just instructed those who suffer for doing what is right. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. And the they here are the people of the world. They cannot handle unjust suffering. They get angry. They try to get even, right? They plot revenge. That's our world. And there is often no rhyme and no reason. One thing I do not like about President Trump is his continual statement, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back doubly hard, or words to that effect. That's not the sign of good leadership in those cases. And I like Trump in many, many ways. But see, that's the thinking of the world. Smack me, and I'm going to smack you back double hard. It's not what our Lord teaches us to do. Our Lord tells us to even forgive our enemies. When believers suffer unjustly, their main concern is how they might represent Christ. He's our Lord, but Peter advises us, set apart Christ as Lord. There's no time in your life that will require you to acknowledge Christ as Lord more than those times when you suffer for having done what is right. And as a help, Peter reminds us that Christ is the Lord of all such situations. And what is more, as Lord, he endured the same kind of treatment from the pagan world. Let me read it to you from Jesus' own 
analysis, his own words. He told his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, if, if, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. John 15, verse 18 through 20. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, we read of Christ that he returning the third time, he said to him, to them, the disciples, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him. Uh, appeared with him was a crowd with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders. Mark 14, verse 41 through 43. Being a Christian carries with it tremendous implications. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. 1 Peter 4, verse 16. What does it mean to be a Christian? John MacArthur written and writes in his book, his book called Slave, that's the title of the book, Slave. Here's what he writes. For some, being Christian is primarily cultural and traditional, a nominal title inherited from a previous generation. The net effect of which involves avoiding certain behaviors and occasionally, occasionally attending church. For others, being a Christian is largely political. A quest to defend moral values in the public square or perhaps preserve those values by withdrawing from the public square altogether. Still more, define Christianity in terms of past religious experience, a general belief in Jesus or a desire to be a good person. Yet all of these fall woefully short of what it truly means to be a Christian from a biblical perspective. To be a Christian in the true sense of the term is to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. As the Lord himself said, I'm still reading John MacArthur, as the Lord himself said, John 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. 
The name suggests more than a superficial association with Christ. Rather, it demands a deep affection for him, allegiance to him, submission to his word. Did he not say, you are my friends if you do what I command? That is what Jesus told his disciples in the upper room. John 15, verse 14, end quote. Boy, there's a lot of meat in MacArthur's words here, but the summary, it says it succinctly and pointedly is Peter's exhortation. In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, as Lord. Only the true believer claims Christ as Lord. Those who have him as Lord are blessed by following in his footsteps, even if it is footsteps of suffering. Thirdly, there's the blessing of accurately representing the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 15, the latter part of the verse in particular. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We're reasonable people. Christians are reasonable people. Which means we have a reason for what we believe. We have a reason for doing the things that we do. For following Christ in the way that we follow Christ and so on. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks you. Yeah, you know, you're strange. <laughs> Why do you do what you do? Have you ever thought that you live your Christian life in a fishbowl? Do you know that people of the world are watching you? They are watching you. They are listening to you. They are observing your behavior. They are analyzing your reaction when things don't go your way. They're considering how you conduct yourself in the midst of adversity. I used to work for a chemical company in Williamsport, my hometown. And when I would come home from Moody on summer recess, I would work for the chemical company. They made a uh, product for bread called Verve, V-E-R-V. And it keeps uh, bread, when they, when they bake bread, it keeps it from developing holes in the middle of the loaf. Now you're probably not going to eat any bread anymore because it's being done by a chemical. But anyway, that's the way it was. And I worked for that company. And then... Uh, you know, years ago I left and so forth, and I was invited to give the invocation at the uh, uh, merchants organization in Williamsport. It was a dinner. They wanted me to give the invocation, pray a prayer, which I did. Afterwards, I had a person come up to me and they said, you don't remember me, do you? I looked at this man. I said, no, I, I can't say that I do. He says, well, I work for the chemical company when you would come in every year as a student from college and you would work there. And I watched you because I knew you were from a Bible institute. And I watched to see if what you said and how you acted 
were legit. And I'm glad to see, as he went on to say, that you've made it. In the minute I was a minister by this time. You don't know that you're being watched like that, do you? I didn't know. But there I was, being watched, scrutinized. And what he was doing is putting the pieces together to see if what I said matched up with what I did. And that's you. And that's me. And that's every professing Christian. You may not think that you're being scrutinized this closely, but you are if your faith is genuine. A genuine faith changes people's behavior. And change paper behavior causes people to wonder, well, what has happened to him or what has happened to her? Let me read it for you. It's in 1 Peter 4, verse 4. They think it's strange, people of the world, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. ESV says the same dissipation as they are. The Greek word is debauchery. It means to pour out in excess, to indulge in sin without any restraint, to immerse oneself in wickedness. They think it's strange that you will not go along with them and immerse yourself in their wickedness with them, being a buddy, being a pal. I think it's strange. And the rest of the verse says, and they heap abuse on you. 1 Peter 4, verse 4. I've heard it said. People will say, you know, <laughs> you used to be one of the boys. What has happened to you? There was a day when you could curse with the best of them. You could tell dirty jokes along with all the others and double over in laughter. But now, 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 now you seem to be living in a self-inflected monastery. You've changed. You're no fun anymore. I hope you're scrutinized like that. I hope I am. And if we are, God is giving us the opportunity to tell others about our hope in Christ. And as true Christians, we will not be ashamed of our new life in Christ, nor will we take credit for it. For if by our own holiness we behave more righteously than our contemporaries, that would be a great sin. But we're saying to them, the credit goes to God the credit goes to his grace. And that's what they need to hear. Oh, you're right. I'm different. <laughs> you're right. I've changed. And here's why. The opportunity to say so is, is a blessing indeed. The abuse heaped upon us, coupled with questions on why we are different now than once we were, 
is as Jesus taught, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Men will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Luke 12, verse 8. Matthew's account says, before the Father. In Revelation 3, verse 5 states both, he who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Revelation 3, verse 5. I want that acknowledgement, don't you, from Christ? Think about it. When we suffer for righteousness' sake, we get to brag on Jesus to those who do not know him. Paul wrote it this way, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 6 verse 14. The world loses its power to charm us, not because of self-righteousness on our part, but because Christ and his cross has crucified its sway over us. It's a blessing, brethren, to live life detached from the allurements of the world. Because John writes, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has, what he does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires... Uh, pass away. But the man who lives and does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 2, verse 16 and 17. Fourthly, there's the blessing of a clear conscience amid malicious slander. Verse 16 and 17 of our text keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's better, it is better, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 1 Peter 3, verse 16 and 17. I remind you of the horrendous injustice, injustice done to Joseph when his brother sold him to Midianite traders en route to Egypt. And if that were not bad enough, he was sold on the auction block as a slave in Egypt, ended up in the household of Potiphar, captain of Pharaoh's guard. And at first, Joseph seemed to fare pretty well. We read Joseph found favor in his eyes. And became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household. And of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian. Because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. Both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Huh. The only thing he worried about is feeding his face. Everything else Joseph took care of. 
Oh, and then we read, now Joseph was well, well built and handsome. Genesis 39, verses 4 through 6. Well, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph's physique and lusted after him like the adulterous woman of Proverbs 7. Time and again, she would approach Joseph saying, come to bed with me. And his answer would be, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Genesis 39 verse 9. But this woman was not used to having somebody tell her no, let alone a servant. So next she planned an ambush. She dismissed all the household servants on a set day and then grabbed Joseph by the tunic and said, come to bed with me. Instead, Joseph fled, leaving his garment behind. And Potiphar's wife, as you know, used that garment to convince her husband of Joseph's guilt. Long story short, Potiphar was enraged. Yes, he believed his wife. And he consigned Joseph to Pharaoh's dungeon where he spent the next, get it now, the next two years in confinement for something of which he had been falsely and slanderously accused. No rescue from God. We read that and we are outraged. We say, how awful! That wicked woman's wagging and lying tongue netted Joseph years in prison for something he never did. Where's the justice in that? Where was God in that? What is more, why didn't Joseph protest? How is it that he could be so, I don't know, so content with his sentence? I don't think Potiphar's wife ever came clean about her false accusations. But be that as it may, Joseph slept peacefully in his prison cell for two years, night after night. How so? His conscience was clear. He knew the words of Potiphar's wife to be nothing more than malicious slander. By the way, mentioned in our text, verse 16, slander, says Peter. Even if Potiphar, even if others, did not recognize it as such. Valuable blessing for living a righteous life in Christ is to have a clear conscience. His concern from start to finish was, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? God did not desert him in prison. Genesis 39 tells us Joseph's masters took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. 
He showed him kindness. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Genesis 39, verse 20 and following. Wow, success and reward in a prison, as a prisoner in Pharaoh's dungeon. But there's more. In time, as you know, Joseph came to the attention of Pharaoh himself because of his exceptional ability to interpret dreams from God. None of Pharaoh's soothsayers could interpret his dream. But Joseph did. And in short order, he went from prison manager to vice regent of all of Egypt. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine living. He put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot at his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way, make way. And then he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Genesis 41, 41 and following. What God can do, what he will do for faithful men and women. Now, brother, not all of us will receive such tangible reward in this life for living righteously. That's true. But to win Christ is to win all. Paul put it this way. What is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. But I consider them rubbish because I have gained Christ. Philippians 3, verse 8. Is you that perspective? It's the believer's perspective. So I ask you this morning, I ask myself, what are your priorities in life? What are you living for? How do you use your time? How do you use your days? Where is obedience to Jesus in your portfolio of things? Sad to say, there is a big surprise awaiting many who claim Christ as their Savior. Let me read it for you. This is the words of Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, uh, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name we drove out demons and we performed many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Whoa. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. What's the mark of a true Christian? John tells us, But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. 1 John 2, verse 5 and 6. There are many people in our day, in our country, that claim to be Christians. But are you walking daily with Jesus in the way he would Go in this area, that area, all the various areas of your life. We must walk as he walked. That's the mark of a true Christian. Our Father, we thank you for your word and praise you for it. Sometimes it's very scalding. It, uh, it burns us a bit. But if it wakes us up, if it stirs us to repentance and faith, that's a good thing. I can't think of anything much more terrible than to sleep one's life away all the way to hell. To never be aroused spiritually. To never be challenged, to never be upset about our spiritual condition, just to be at sleep and at peace with our sin all the way to hell. There are many people like that, Lord, because as Paul said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving lest they see and believe. Satan doesn't want us to see and believe. He wants us to sleep our way all the way to hell. And many are doing that. Lord, today, by your spirit, wake us up. Show us the truth of being real Christians. Not just Christians in name, but Christians in our walk, following in the footsteps of Christ. And where we are failing and where we have failed, please forgive us and get us Get our feet back on the right path that our lives might bring glory to you. May we understand people are watching us. May we understand God is watching us and assessing whether or not we can rightly say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. We pray this firstly for your glory, but also for our good because our destiny lies in being able to speak and live the truth. Honor the gospel this day. Save whom you will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
I'm going to change the hymn, the closing hymn, guys. 470 in the hymnal. 470 in the brown hymnal. Jared and uh, Clara May, you know this hymn. It's called Footsteps of Jesus. <clears throat> Four hundred seventy in the brown hymnal. Let's stand as we sing. <coughs> Jared says he doesn't know it. <laughs> However, I know you can play it, so. thing we don't know about the Christian life, we don't know the exact path that ha God has 
mapped out for us individually. We have the general principles in the word of God, but there are going to be differences as to what path he puts your feet on. We talked this morning of some of the martyrs that their path was pretty brutal. Others will never suffer martyrdom. They'll be put in places where things are pretty congealed. You're liked, you're loved. Doesn't matter what the path is. The path is to be representative of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're in a business or you're just an employee or if you are in some aspect of higher education, you're in school or whatever, whatever pathway you find yourself, be sure you're walking there with Christ, honoring Christ, testifying of Christ. Because the world's watching you, it's watching me, and it's wanting to see genuine Christianity. There's so many fakes out there, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to see that. But they are looking for genuineness. May God grant that to your heart. Lord bless you. If you're sick, like me, I hope you get better. No church tonight. Uh, stay home. Stay well. We're dismissed.